Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And everything in between. We're your host, Holly Azapati, and Jordana Levine. It rhymes. And I didn't even know that, and you just pointed it out. You didn't even know it rhymed. It <laughs> sounds like we came up with that in some elaborate copywriting crazy phase. No. But we didn't. We didn't. Jord, I'm going to shout out a listener's comment from the Facey group. I loved this comment so much. So, from Natasha Piccolo. Mmm. Hi, I love you. Already know what I'm going to say. Well, I just, I just love Tash, so I'm excited to hear it again. Go. Yeah, go. Hi, friends. Just thought I'd share a fun fact for the afternoon because why not? Love the chat about weighted blankets and the intuitive sense of being grounded when using anything weighted in meditation. As a pediatric therapist, we often use weight in the clinic with our kitties on the autism spectrum. The weight helps with our sense of proprioception. <laughs> more than five senses in our bodies. Crazy, right? This is our internal sensory process associated with literally understanding where our bodies are in space. When the body processes via our proprioception receptors, weight, it's an almost instant reorganization of our nervous system, which can dramatically change our internal state, often to a state of calm. Water is also another outlet to experience this phenomenon, which is why I loved the piece on the shower and anxiety, George. Loving the content you gals are dishing up every week. Keep doing your thing. My biggest love is when we are constantly being met with the idea of science, backing up our intuitive states, meeting smack bang in the middle. <laughs> so good. You know, that really made me think about um, this idea of where we sit in space. Like I remember I went through a phase in my 20s where I was fainting a lot. And, um, yeah, and they never really kind of worked out why, not the point of this story, but just before I would faint, I went, I started losing all my senses. So I'd lose my hearing and then I'd try and speak and I'd lose my speech. And then I'd start to lose my sense of space. Like I couldn't work out if I was on the ground or in the air or falling down or falling up. And this all happened in like the space of three seconds. But I do remember that sense of displacement. So it is interesting how that feeling of being weighted and being grounded can really bring you back to um, a point of safety and comfort. That's what I was going to say. It feels safe, like safety and support. But, George, just on that, I know you said not the point of the story, but fainting is one of my biggest fears. I've never fainted in my life, and any time I feel <laughs> a rush of anxiety, it's because what if I faint? So but I've, if you've never done it, why are you so scared of it? Because I, I think because I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it is not fun, but it's also, like, a bit fun. <laughs> I used to be jealous of the kids at school who fainted because I thought, it like, they'd get attention, you know? Yeah, no. <laughs> It's no, it's not fun. It's like um, I liken it to it's 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 like everything starts shutting down. So yeah. everything that puts you um, in 
in place pretty much. You start losing it slowly one by one. So, yeah, my hearing would go, then my speech would go, then I'd get displaced and then my sight would go from full spectrum to like tiny, tiny, tiny dot and then I'd be gone. I feel like it's that (laughs) sense of displacement which would be the most uncomfortable. Yeah, but it's all happening in a split second. That's fine. I'm okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do exposure therapy to fainting, so who knows how I'm going to get over this fear. (laughs) Maybe I'll just try and, like, really surprise you one day. You'll be like, (gasps) no, I'll faint. (laughs) Now, Jod, you and I have had a chat this week, uh, and we thought we'd bring it to the potty, around this concept of living in alignment and making decisions from your head versus your heart. It's a really tough space to be in, right? Yeah, I think um, when you talk about it like big picture perspective, it's like a really easy space. You're like, listen to your heart, follow your heart, follow the feels. But when you're actually in the moment and you're like, okay, so intuition and gut are saying no. Logical and rational and sensible mind Mm -hmm. are saying yes. (laughs) (laughs) Then you're sort of like, all right, well – where do I, what do I do now? Yeah. Because if I want to live from a place of authenticity and I want to live from the heart and I want to be able to trust my intuition, then I really need to feel into that. But I'm also in a, at a point, whatever the precipice is, whatever point you're at, where you're like, okay, well, logic and reason and sensibility right now is saying take this path. And I can imagine this just because I know your natal chart inside and out, this would be a common conundrum for you because you are so intuitive, but then you've got this Virgo placement, which is like pragmatism, right? Yes. Yes. And also just on top of that, all of the Gemini placements say, look at it from all sides. So I spend the whole time walking around the problem in a circle, looking at it from all angles and finding it hard to land on the uh, best option, I guess, I think. Where some other people like you, for example, when I say to you, what should I do? Well, you're like, well, follow your heart, (laughs) Jord. (laughs) I start quoting Jewel, follow your heart, your intuition. But I actually know that it's not always that easy. I've come up against it too where my intuition and my heart are speaking so loud and clear to make a decision or to do something, but you can't deny that logic is saying, oh, let's weigh up the pros and cons here and actually use a little bit of rationality. And I guess that's the conversation, isn't it, is where do we draw the line between being totally irrational and just like flying by the seat of our pants trusting intuition for every decision we ever make and actually weaving logic and reason into things as well. I think it's so important to weave logic and reason in. I think it's there for a reason and it's just like Tash was saying in her comment, it's like we need to have this balance between, you know, fact and spirituality because that's how we meet in the middle, right? So my piece of advice, and I've followed it this week myself, is to not if if you're in a conundrum of head over heart sit with it for a while have mm-hmm. a few nights sleep on it like don't tell a million different people about it and ask for their advice mm-hmm. i had i maybe ran my conundrum past 
four people, but four people who I really valued their opinion and I think mm. that they brought different things to the table. Mm. But ultimately it was something that I've had to sit with and I honestly think that taking your time, I feel like Oprah when I say that. I love time. it. Time. I'm all about it. But taking your time is probably the best thing you can do. I agree. I I see this a lot uh, in coaching clients and even in my own decision-making processes when I feel like I'm at a crossroads and often it is that feeling, right? It's do I turn left or right? It's the big decisions or maybe even the not so big, but there's a you need to come to some kind of conclusion. And then we put all this added pressure on ourselves with this time limit that a lot of the time we make up ourselves. Mm. And it's almost as if when we take the pressure off with removal of a deadline, often self-imposed, then it allows us to sit in space and surrender into feeling, okay, what actually feels like the right decision. And I guess that's the other point, George, isn't it? It's like really feeling into what feels I guess right. I mean, I don't want to say right or wrong because I don't think you can ever make a wrong decision because you can always change your mind, right? Well, I guess it depends on the circumstance, but yes. That's true. You can't change your mind once you've jumped out of the (laughs) aeroplane. You have to keep falling, plummeting towards the earth. Um, (laughs) Yes, but (laughs) in my circumstance, yes, I can change my mind. Um, Yeah, I think. Yeah, nothing set in stone. I, but I do, I, I am not by any means trying to dismiss listening to your intuition, following your gut, listening to your heart at all. I'm not at all doing that and saying you should pick, you know, reason and logic. I just think they both have a seat at the table. And uh, I'm all about the pros and cons list. I always, I think we've spoken about it on here before, talk about a high vibes, low vibes list and try and work out, you know, where your energy will be placed in this situation. Like how is this going to serve me? How am I going to um, be strengthened energetically by this? And how am I going to be weakened energetically by this? And I think that's, that's a way that you can weave logic and reason into it as well. Because, for example, let's say it's like, let's say it's a job opportunity you're trying to weigh up and you're like, mm-hmm. will this strengthen me energetically? Well, if the money's good and it's going to take you out of a sticky financial situation, then, yeah, it is going to strengthen you. But if you're worried about, I don't know, maybe the person that you're working for or the people in the environment Um, you're worried about whether or not you're going to connect with them, if they're the right people for you, then that may weaken it. You know what I mean? So it's like trying trying to weigh everything up and decide how your energy will suffer and if not taking it, how will your energy suffer? I love that approach, looking at it from an energetic perspective and does this feel heavy or does this feel like a lightened load? Yeah. Um, But the other piece I I feel, Jordi, is this piece around rationality and irrationality because the logical mind can go both ways, right? It can be super rational and also it can attach to fear and be super irrational. And I guess it's also weighing up, am I attaching to an irrational fear here preventing me from making a decision that actually is for my highest good or is logical mind giving me reason enough to maybe hold off on something? Mm. How do you determine what's rational mind and what's fear? That's hard for me. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm a highly rational person. I don't know if that mm. surprises people or not. <laughs> no, you are. You, you're one of my most rational friends. <laughs> Thank you so much. So um, I don't often find myself getting irrational about things. And if I am, I have the self-awareness that it's irrational and I label totally. it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But, but again, I would say if I was coaching someone else through it, um, if someone was saying irrational things to me about a situation they were going through, I'd just hold a mirror up to them and be like, this is what you're saying to me. If I was saying this to you, what would you think about that? Mm, I love that. Because I think yeah. irrationality, when it's spoken back to you, you, you can see it for what it is or hear it for what it is. Hear it for what it is. I think that's what it is. And when you hear what your words are in someone else's voice, you've got that little bit of a disconnect to go, oh, shit, yeah, that mm. that is. Which is why coaching is so beneficial, right? Right. I mean, this is why talk therapy works because mm. we're actually talking out the issue and then coming to our own conclusions. Mm. And I love what you said at the beginning, Jord, around not outsourcing your problem to all of the people but having a key two or three that you can trust will give you an uninvolved, I guess it's not the right term, but they're disconnected enough to not have any sense of bias in their feedback. They know you enough to know what would serve you, but also they come at things from a logical and rational mind. And that's why I surround myself with Virgos. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's so true. I'm surrounded by Virgos too. But see, Virgos give you the really rational side of it as well and so sometimes you really need someone to support your intuitive hit and your heart you know yeah that's actually a good point see because I am so heavily fueled by intuition and heart I don't need to seek that in other people whereas other people would need to seek that component I didn't think of it like that yeah I guess it's just balancing it out but at the end of the day I think it still comes back to you. And so I, I really want to draw me in the big takeaway from this is taking your time. Yeah. Like yeah. really taking your time. Yeah. Because intu intuition won't let it go. It won't yeah. let it go. No. And it'll keep, okay, for example, for me, it's really hard to give all the examples without giving the situation, but I don't want to give the specifics of it. But for example, to... Uh, I've been dealing with this conundrum for a couple of days now and mm. I keep getting little signs to go, no, no, no. Um, mm. today, today's little sign was um, very much about my human design, which we'll talk a little bit about more on the potty um, next year. We'll, we'll yeah. get an expert on to talk about it. But as a projector, um, there's certain energetic limitations that I have, especially when it comes to the way I interact with other people and the work I do in the world. Mm. And it was just really drummed into me today that I am a projector and my energy is better spent in other ways. Yeah. Um, and that was just a nice little reminder for me today that going with what was my first intuitive hit with this particular problem I'm going through really really lends itself to this projector personality. 
I love that. It's about being really familiar with your energetic way of being. And for each of us, it's actually different, which is why when we outsource a decision that we're stuck with to other people, they're putting their lens and their experience and their energetic blueprint on top of it. And it's just not, it's just not helpful most of the time, right? It's so true. And it's, it's the same for us when we give advice. We're only, you can only give advice from an experience you've been through. Mm. you know or or what you project the experience to be and as helpful as that can be sometimes to give a different perspective it's still not what the person's going through Mm. so ultimately yeah it comes back to you what for you feels like does alignment have a feeling for you yeah 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 what does it feel like (laughs) tell me more oh my god um what does alignment feel like for me Um, I feel it very much in my physical, but also in my emotional and energetic body. Um, I guess from from an energy standpoint, if I'm not in alignment, I feel very, very drained. Mm. Um, I feel on edge. I feel very much in a sympathetic state, like my nervous system's on high alert at all times. Totally. Um, In my physical... If I'm not in alignment, I feel quite heavy. I've or or really um, like displaced and and very kind of frenetic in my energy. Yes. Um, and when I'm in alignment, everything just feels in flow and expansive. I can breathe easier. Things just fall into place. Um, everything's just yeah e- easier and effortless. What about yeah. you, Hole? You literally summed up the exact same experiences for me. When I'm in alignment, things feel clear and easy. Mm. And when I'm out of alignment, it feel like I'm butting my head against walls and I don't know which way is up and down. That that sense of displacement. Yeah. Uh, and I feel when I'm out of alignment, similarly in my physical, it feels like that fight and flight energy, which I do think a lot of us have just come to accept as normal and when you live from a place of that for a long time and then you aren't in it, you're like, oh, there's a different way of living. So, totally. right. So I can catch myself now when I've gone into fight and flight and I'm breathing from my chest and feeling a little frenetic. And I, that for me is my biggest sign of, oh, something's not aligned here. I can change. But mm. it's difficult when fight and flight is just your normal state of being for so long and you don't know any other way. No. And this is why I think it's so important to have that self-awareness about when you're in alignment and when you're out of alignment. Now, that's not to say that every time something is challenging or hard, you're out of alignment because you can definitely be in alignment and things just feel a little bit more challenging. Absolutely. But there's a difference in the energetic makeup of it. Now, it's going to be personal for everybody and that's why I try and describe it. I'm sure we've spoken about it on this podcast before about this personal vibration and when you're – when it's strengthened and when it's weakened. And once you start to know what it feels like to have a strong personal vibration versus what it feels like when it's being compromised, then you're able to bring yourself back into center a little bit easier. There's a good book that kind of explains this a little more in detail, known as Make It Happen. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to... Like, what book are you plugging here? I was like... Uh, uh, no, not this. Not I was like, Holly, <laughs> don't reveal all my secrets. 
Not yet, <laughs> but you're, you're bang on, girl. We, yeah. If we can get an understanding of our energetic vibration, when it's aligned and when it isn't, then it's easy to come in and out. And the ways that we get ourselves back into alignment will differ from person to person, right, Jord? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I still, like, I still kind of, um, I'm not quite sure exactly of my list. Like, I think it changes okay. all the time. But just, yeah, just having some sort of toolkit that you can go to and go, this is what's going to get me back. To be honest with you, for me lately, it's rest and uh, disengaging. Yeah, <laughs> from the feels. World. Couch time and the OC have been really helping me with my alignment lately. <laughs> yeah, totally. And also just switching off from people. Like I love my friends and I love being there for people and holding space for people, but I just haven't had the capacity for it, which means when I am doing it, I'm not 100% there. So I've just had to really pull back. Yeah, there's merit in that too, Joel, because that's hard for people to do, especially when you you love people but you're if if you're not holding yourself how can you possibly hold other people no you just can't you can't and it and it drains it drains you doesn't it and it just Absolutely. pulls you out of alignment yeah holly as someone who comes at a lot of stuff from a really intuitive heartfelt place mm. what do you do when you're faced with a conundrum that requires a battle between heart and head yeah it's a really good question I'd take to my journal first. I mean, no surprises there, but writing things out help me helps me get it out of my head and onto a page. And when it's out of my head and onto a page, especially as a double air sign where I've got a lot of noise and chatter in my brain, it makes things, it simplifies the challenge or the decision for me. It helps me weigh up what is rational reason logic and what is intuitive esoteric maybe a more heart focused and then it helps me draw lines between the two but like you Jord as well I do speak to you know there'd be three people in my life that I'd turn to where they are quite rational minded and I'm able to just get their perspective now that doesn't necessarily mean that I will take what they're saying for gospel and make a decision because they're the rational one right that means that I'm able to see that side of things weigh it up and again I I talk about this weighing up my moon in Libra it's always about balance and then feeling into okay what feels like the most balanced and easeful step to take and and you know what that I always come up to come back to ease and effortlessness. Like it's meant to be easy. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because of course you do. I know. Well, right? like, what is the least amount of things I can do right now? Literally, I outsource <laughs> everything and I work two hours a day. But it's meant to feel easy and it's meant to feel effortless. And so if I'm butting my heads against some against something, and for instance, an example, the Byron move. It feels so intuitive for us to be up there right now. Intuition is telling me to get up there, but I need to think rationally here. Nothing is falling into place right now, and we're getting close to Christmas. It's going to add stress if we keep looking and looking and looking. We're going to be up there any day now, up there any day now. Intuition is like, yeah, believe it, trust it. You're pretty much there, but I have had to sit with that logical mind and go, this is adding to my stress levels. What's another month of being in Sydney actually going to 
is that going to harm me? And logically, rationally, no, it isn't. So that's been a really relevant and and uh, uh, timely example of sitting in that space of, yes, intuition is telling me to get up there and get up there now and has been telling me for months and months, but logically there's no rush, right? Yeah. And again, there we go. There's that underlying. I think that that's the root of it all is what is the rush? Yeah, all- yeah, slow down. Totally. Yeah. The other thing I think is, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter which decision you make because it'll be the right decision. And if it's not the right decision, guess what? More often than not, you can choose again. Yeah, but also it is the right decision because you can't make a wrong decision because if you make a wrong decision, it just puts you on one path. Sorry, if you make decision A, it puts you on one path and if you make decision B, it puts you on another path. And neither of them are right or wrong. It's just a new lesson, a new path, a new something that's going to come your way and teach you something and that's what you're going to get out of it. It's so true. And also the hardest part often is that space in between. It's that space in not making the decision that feels the most frustrating, debilitating and stressful. Once you make choice A or choice B, it almost alleviates the situation, right? The stress kind of moves. Yeah. Totally. Mm, So just make a decision, guys. I know. We haven't confused you. (laughs) Just decide. That's all we're saying. (laughs) Just make a fucking decision. (laughs) That's what I say to Holly all the time. This is what I do. Like, this is just a funny way. I'm like, Jod, I'm ordering Uber Eats for lunch and I don't know what I'm going to get. And then she goes, Holly, what are the cuisine options? And I said, say every option. I don't know. I can't narrow it down. It's a conundrum of having a Libra placement. (laughs) But it's also you um, using your Libra placement as an excuse to not make a decision. I know your type. I grew up (laughs) with your type. Two of my best friends were your type and you're, you love getting out of making a decision. I hate decision-making. I fucking hate it. Well, just commit to it. You know what I say to Trent? He'll come home and be like, what do you want for dinner? And I'll be like, I've been making decisions all day. It's my job. You decide. <laughs> yeah. Good one, Trent. <laughs> what have you been doing all day? I've just been sitting on the couch feeling effortless. <laughs> Feeling into my human design. I've been waiting for invitations. <laughs> Hashtag projector joke. I swear you guys will all understand it next year. I know. It's so exciting. <laughs> jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bell swing and jingle bells ring. Snowing and blowing up bushes of fun. Now the jingle has begun. Okay, that was good. So <laughs> this is the start of our Christmas recos. So we're going to do uh, Christmas recos over the next few weeks. Um, just gift ideas for the loved ones in your life. We're going to start off this week with Christmas recos for him. So this could be boyfriend, husband, father, brother, uncle, best friend. What other male relatives do you have? Cousin. Cousin. Brother-in-law. Stepbrother, father-in-law, <laughs> yeah, all the all the boys, all the men, all the men. All... So, Holly, would you like I, to start? I would love to start. I've got two exciting ones that were actually recorded to me, so I'm stealing the recos. <laughs> okay, have you experienced them? 
No, but I will this Christmas. Okay, great. So these are two. It's great that Trent doesn't listen to the potty for the first time ever because I'm going to get them as stocking fillers for him. Okay, great. Now, the first gift is for, obviously, the whiskey lover in your life. Now, that could be your grandfather, your father, your uncle, whatever. On Etsy, across the world, so in Australia but also overseas, there are whiskey-tasting notebooks that are personalized. So there are these beautiful leather-bound books mm. that you can put your whiskey-tasting notes in and obviously the men who drink whiskey will know what that means. But you get them personalized so you can have like Trent's whiskey notebook or a lovely message embossed on the front cover. And they're really, really beautiful, George. So that they, they're around the $40 mark, which is pretty reasonable. Where do you get them from? Etsy. Oh, Etsy. Etsy.com. Etsy's great for cute little kitschy Christmas gifts. Yes. Uh, so I'll pop that. Obviously, all of these will be made available in our newsletter. So the links to purchase them yourself will be there. The second gift idea is from our listener, Sammy Bloom. And she made a comment that she was getting these as a present for her husband. And I stole the idea. And they're called... Well, I hope Mike's not listening to the podcast. Mike, if you're listening, turn it <laughs> off right now. Sammy, turn it down in the car if you guys are together. <laughs> they are called My Face Socks. So we all, know that- <laughs> we all know that socks are a great stocking filler for the men in your life, right? But with these ones, guys, you can put a face on them. Now, obviously your face would be funny, but these ones are so cute of your pet. So if you've got oh, a dog, thought- I'm going to get... I thought um, Sammy was going to put Mike's face on the socks. No, no she's going to put Nani, their puppy's oh. face. I'm going to copy and do the same with Archery and Lola Lou. They're cute. That is cute. Yeah. My face socks. So they're my, they're my ideas. Cute. And you order those online as well? Yep. And I'll put the website in the newsletter. They're really cute ideas. But they're ideas that you have to hop on now, guys, because you're going to have to order them. And I think those socks will probably take a little while. Yeah. So, note to self, I'm gonna place that order this week too. Yeah. Do they do? Do they do other things like undies and t-shirts and stuff? Actually, good question. Let's see. Do you guys do? I mean, the website's called myfacesocks.com. Oh, okay. So, no, it's probably so just do. socks. That's okay. All oh right. no, they're t-shirts as well. You're cute. So cute. I Tell love you that. Um, okay. Well, mine are a little bit different. Um, If there is a man in your life who is curious about the personal development spiritual world, I think that if a nice little starter to get men interested into this interested in this sort of stuff, only if they want to, please don't make them if they don't. That's not (laughs) fair. But a really nice um, beginner's read for um, getting uh, sort of opening yourselves up to this like personal development world, I have to say is The Alchemist. It's such a beautiful book. It's a book that I've bought many men in my life over the years, young and old, um, and they've all loved it, absolutely loved it, and it's actually had quite a profound impact on them. Now, I know a lot of women have read The Alchemist, but it really is a male story. It is. So um, uh, Paolo Coelho, he he wrote it many, 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 many moons ago, and when he first wrote it, he hardly sold any copies at all. Like, it just didn't do well at all, and now it's one of the most published books in the world. 
Wow. Um, it's a really short read. It is such a beautiful story. And like I said, um, every man that I've given it to has been heavily impacted by it. So that would be my first I for love him that record. I love it. It also translates um, time in terms of age. It yeah. wouldn't matter how old the man would be that you gave that book to. Yeah, nice mm. little stocking filler one, I think. Good reco. Um, and then my second reco, it's actually a repeat reco. I cannot believe I'm doing this, but I just want to drum in what an amazing gift this is for a man. And it is, again, guys, the Shakti mat. Yeah. I have to say, like, for the price point of, I think it's $70, it really is a gift that will just keep on giving. And especially yeah. for men, older men, so like the father, father-in-laws, the uncles, younger men, the partners, the boyfriends, the husbands, younger brothers. It is such a good gift, whether they're an athlete, whether they're a lazy bloody couch potato, everyone. It's a really good idea. It's a really good present. And um, it's not something that all men have, you know, like often I'm like, oh, dad has everything or like my brother has everything. Well, like who thing. has a Shakti mat? No, no one does. And it, But it is such an amazing gift and I cannot – tell you one person who's got one who doesn't absolutely love it. I love that idea. I think it's worthy of a second reco. Yeah. A, a seco. A seco. A seco reco. Um, so, yeah, they're the, they're our, that's our gift guide for the men in your life. Uh, next week we'll do the gift guide for the gals in your life. I'm so excited. This is going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. New segment, Jod, coming at you. Guess that celebrity natal chart, girl. Okay. How are you feeling? You ready? Yeah, I feel good. I have to, I just want to put a caveat on this and just say I have not been myself the last couple of days. So I'm really hoping that I'm going to be able to do this. I, I'm just got to tune in and, and Tune land. and trust. Tune and trust. Yeah. Do you want a male or a female? Can... Have you chosen one of each? Yeah. Can you tell me, can you give me the options and I'll pick yeah. one? Would you like a female actress or a male singer? Oh, no, I mean, can you tell me who they are and I'll tell you which one I want? Oh, yeah, you don't have to guess who they are. I was like, <laughs> no, I can't tell you who they are. Do you want Michael Jackson or Renee Zellweger? Oh, Renee Zellweger, please. Cool. Alrighty. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I'm very puzzled by this. Renee Zellweger. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with her son sign. Mm-hmm. Is it earth? Yes. And is her rising water? No. Okay. Is her rising air? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Can I give you a clue? Yeah. It's going to give it, it no, away. No, no, well, don't, don't give it to me then. I won't, yeah. Um, okay, so her son is Earth. Is mm. her son um, Taurus? Yeah. 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 Um, is her moon water? No. Yeah. Is her moon air? No. Oh, fuck. Don't tell me she's got fire everywhere. Is she a double fire? She's a double something, but she's not double fire. Oh. She's a double earth. Mm. And her rising is earth? Correct. Okay. 
So her moon is fire. Correct. Okay. This is like, this is process of elimination now. I don't feel like I'm intuitively tapping into this at all. Um, okay, let me see that. Her moon is fire. Is her moon Aries? No. Oh, fuck. It's a really hard one. It's like she's really hard. Well, I, I just feel like, I actually feel like this isn't the Renee Zellweger I, I know and I know love. And love. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leo Moon? Correct. Okay. Um, and what did I say her rising was? Earth. Um, Virgo rising? Yes. So she's a Taurus sun, Virgo rising, Leo moon. Yeah, heavy, right? I wouldn't have picked that. Um, interesting, though, because she's an actress and she's got that Leo in her, but I just don't see it. Do you see it? I I would have gone water like you. Yeah. I did a little tricky one for you because I thought, oh, she'll be like Gwyneth. She'll be like water air. No. Oh, I just I see so much Pisces in her. Yes, me too. Do, do I have a whole chart here? I do. Hang on. Oh, no, I don't. Her life path number is nine. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been my second guess. <laughs> that, that's, oh, no, hang on. Yeah, here we go. She is... No, nah, I can't tell you. I don't know what all the symbols mean. She's got five fire elements. Can you put They're... it in the sky yeah. chart? I'll read it for you. Oh, yeah, you're an astrologer. I forgot. I thought she'd be water. I, I really did. I thought maybe a bit of fire because she's an actress. I feel like an, all actresses have a fire placement or Gemini moon. <laughs> okay, so she doesn't have uh, – she's got uh, – her Lilith is in Pisces. Um. Yeah, she's hardly got any water at all. Weird. She's got a she's got a Leo moon. She's got Aries, Venus in Aries, Mars in Sag, Saturn in Aries, uh, Uranus in Libra, Mercury in Taurus. Yeah. You wouldn't she, want to cross her. No. At all. At like all. she could kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just a blanket statement, guys. I'm sure she hasn't so killed anyone. Funny. All right. Well, that was fun and not as great as the last one. I'm sorry, guys. I let down the team. I wonder if you guys got it right. Yeah, let us know, guys. We love this segment so much. It's so fun. I it's hope fun you guys love it's it. Fun thing, you guys. No one's really given us feedback on guests. I that's know. What we made of fun. <laughs> <laughs> We've got everyone's favorite segment, and not one person has said they like. It. <laughs> Well, we're going to keep playing it, so suck it. Um, <laughs> we get to do something different. It's our favourite segment. Um, all right, so, Hol, this week you're going to teach us something new. Well, yeah, you're going to teach us about some different types of meditation. There were lots of questions in the Facebook group about the different types of medi. So I'm going to leave this up to you, and if you can take a breath every now and then to let me ask you some questions. Sure, because I've got plenty. What the way I've divided this segment into is about meditation, then the different types, and then at the end of the segment, I'll talk to all the questions that were asked in the Facebook group. So I want to open with this quote. (laughs) My teeth are too dirty to brush them is like saying my mind is too busy to meditate. Because that's the first underlying thing when it comes to meditation. I can't meditate. I can't turn off my thoughts. And I'm going to be myth-busting this in this segment, right? 
A little bit of context for you guys. I have practiced meditation for probably about five years now. And in that five, in those five years, I've tried every variation possible. Uh, and also one of my best friends is a meditation teacher. So I've got a lot of information, obviously. <laughs> so by association, so by I... association I know <laughs> everything. <laughs> Just so you know, I also am double air, which means I know everything. <laughs> so I want to start with what meditation isn't. Controversially so, meditation is not coloring books. It's not walking or surfing or playing with your kids. You know yeah. what? Do you know what walking? that is? That's mindfulness. That's mindfulness. Good one. Exactly. Okay, Thanks, George. You are an expert. <laughs> you know everything too. <laughs> <laughs> There's often this miscommunication between mindfulness and meditation. They're very different things. I'm going to make it clear in this segment as to how to tell the difference. But when you hear somebody say, oh, walking is my meditation or listening to music is my meditation, well, no, it isn't. It's their act of mindfulness. <laughs> <Soz Wrong. guys>. <laughs> <laughs> eh, wrong. Um, mindfulness is brilliant. Mindfulness is great. That's not discrediting a mindfulness practice at all. They bring you into the present moment and that results in flow state. And we've spoken about flow state before, George. It's key for stress relief and positive psychology. So there's nothing wrong with those coloring books. I love them. But saying it's meditation is false. So they do not result in a meditative effect on the mind. And the other thing that people get confused with meditation, which I've touched on, is that meditation is eradicating thought and it's this blissed out state of peace and tranquility. Unless you're a monk, it's kind of impossible, yeah? So what is meditation? Meditation is a technique used to train the mind on awareness, creating a calm state of mind and a sense of stability in the mind. It trains you to focus your mind and to redirect your thoughts. So there are a variety of techniques which I'll dive into. There are guided meditations. There's focused, single point of focus meditations. There's Vedic and Transcendental, otherwise known as TM. And, yes, there's also Vipassana meditation. Um, so meditation is one of the major tools that all or most high performers in the world include in their daily practice. Yeah, so from Oprah to Richard Branson to Steve Jobs to me and George, <laughs> we're all practicing meditation in some way. A regular meditation practice rewires your neural pathways. It retrains your brain and can alleviate anxiety, stress, insomnia, and fatigue, resulting in a more focused, high-performance state of mind and an easier sense to step into gratitude in your day-to-day -day life. <clears throat> now, scientifically speaking, there have been a number of scientific experiments where they put those pads on people's minds as they meditate and watch what the mind does. So it shows that when we meditate, our electrical brain waves illustrate a wakeful yet relaxed state of being. So we're still awake and aware, but we're also deeply relaxed. What happens is our theta brain waves fire more so in meditation than any other relaxation technique, say having a bath or going for a walk, right? Now, why this matters is our theta brain waves occur most often when we sleep. And this is why some meditation techniques, namely your Vedic meditation and your transcendental meditation, can attribute a 20-minute sitting to a four-hour nap. 
So theta brainwave removes the focus on the external and focuses us within, right? So we're dipping, when we're accessing theta brainwave, we're dipping into different levels of consciousness and that's a state of relaxation and introspection that the only other chance we get is when we sleep. Okay. okay. Yeah, but I cannot tell you how many times I've sat down to do my Vedic meditation practice and have not dropped into shit, even though I've been sitting there for 20 minutes. Or sometimes I drop in at the 19 minute and 50 <laughs> second mark. <laughs> and then I have to come out. Damn it. Yeah. So this is something that actually came up in the Facebook group as well. Now, with the Vedic meditation practice, which I'll talk about in a moment, there is a an occurrence that happens known as laundering. And I'm just going to park that there and we'll get to laundering, but that's what's going on with you, Jord. It's a laundering process. And the more that you can sit in Vedic and allow the laundering to occur, the sooner you will drop into that state, right? But I'll talk to laundering in a moment if that's okay. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm asking that question because it is the most common question that comes up and not just in Vedic, but in all meditation. Yeah. It's how do I drop? How do I get into theta? Totally. So we'll get, I'll get to that in a moment. What I want to do first is describe the different types because Vedic is one of the more complex and I want to get the, the simple ones out of the way first. So guided meditations are the ones we're most familiar with and they're self-explanatory, right, Jord? They're the ones that when you're in Shavasana and your yoga teacher is talking you through a breathing practice or some kind of meditative practice, you are being guided by someone speaking. Apps like Insight Timer or Headspace, they're all guided, right? You are being taken on a journey and it's distracting your mind from day to day by being guided on a journey. Now, that's great, but often with guided meditations, they have the relaxation effect. You are less likely to dip into theta brainwave because your mind is still active. It's looking, it's doing, it's picturing the field or putting the thought on the cloud and watching it go by, right? And there's nothing wrong with guided meditation there's just a level of depth you can drop to when you are partaking in that the other uh kind of intro to meditation practice is a concentration meditation a single point of focus so that could be that you are focusing your intention on a flame and so your eyes are opening you were just breathing in and out with that flame watching that flame following that flame focusing on that flame or sometimes people will focus on a word. So it might be love or gratitude or thank you. And they just repeat it over and over again. And if their mind wanders, they come back to the word. If their mind wanders, they come back to the word. Now that's kind of similar to Vedic, not, not the same, but that single point of focus. Another one is, and, and I just mentioned it before, but it's an, a very common one when you're starting. It's like, look at your thoughts and put them on the cloud or put it on a rocket a stream and watch it travel by. And you're just focusing your energy on watching the words move. Okay. Now they were the meditations that I was practicing for a few years until I got to the point of frustration that you were describing, George, where I was like, I am not going deep here. I know I'm not going deep. I'm still very awake. I know that there's a depth to my meditation practice. I want to access. I want to learn more. And that's where I started to research the difference between Vedic and TM or transcendental meditation. Now, the difference between Vedic and TM is that TM comes from the Vedic tradition. So the Vedic tradition of meditating is thousands of years old 
And they actually are the same practice, which is you are delivered a mantra and you repeat the mantra over and over again, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. And that mantra is given to you by your teacher who basically they have a list of mantras depending on what life stage you're at. You are not supposed to share your mantra with anybody else other than your teacher. And the mantra itself has been constructed. It's a word. It's a sound. It's not, it's not a day-to-day word like love or peace. Like it's a certain phrase word that is designed to be charming to the mind that sends you into a state of deep introspection and reflection. So when it – I can see your face, Jordan. I don't know why, but I'm getting distracted. It's my mantra. You, I don't like it. Don't you like it? What? It's not – Story for you know, you, you can get a new mantra after a year. Uh, I, you can get an advanced mantra. Every time I've gone to get a new mantra, my teacher says to me, doesn't matter who it is, different teachers, they all say to me, no, this is the <laughs> perfect mantra for you. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> and that says it all. <laughs> and why are you so resistant to it? And this is, yeah, interesting. So the mantra has this hypnotic effect on the mind, right? And the only difference between TM and Vedic is that TM is an organization. Yeah, it's just a um, TM is like a, a what's the word? A brand almost. It's a brand. It's yeah. a brand with celebrity endorsements. Yeah. That's it. Like they're the same practice and then it just depends on where you would like to invest. For me, Vedic appealed to me because my teacher is one of my best friends. But, but also, also Transcendental's mainly an american thing it's, yeah we pretty much only have vedic teachers here exactly exactly um and then the other technique is vipassana technique which is a body scan so you are feeling sensation in your body down to the tips of your toes up to the top of your head down to the tips of your toes to the top of your head over and over and over and over again <laughs> the first three days of vipassana was spent 12 hours a day on feeling the sensation of the breath between your upper lip and your nostrils Three days, 12 hours a day. I kid you not. So they are the different types of meditation. Uh, and now I'm going to go into the questions. And if you have questions as well, George, we will get to those. Sound good? Mm. So first question, Danae, I love you so much. Why do I hate it so much? <laughs> and it's a valid question. I get resistant to my meditation practice all the time as well. The thing with meditation is it is uncomfortable. And it's just a common misconception that every time you sit in meditation, it's going to feel easy and graceful and you're going to have these beautiful dips in and out and it's just going to be this rewarding experience, right? More often than not, what's happening is this laundering process, which, George gets to your question as well around why am I dipping or why am I only dipping at the very, very end if I even am. So the way that TM and Vedic are designed is laundering you are laundering when you're meditating years and years and years of built up stress anxiety fatigue stories emotion anger resentment happiness joy like all of this stored emotion is being brought to the surface of your consciousness from your subconscious to the surface so when you are meditating those thoughts that you have dropped into your head where you're like, I can't turn them off and all of a sudden I'm here or I'm thinking of something five years ago is actually part of the meditation process. You, It doesn't feel like it, but what you're doing is you're releasing them. 
yeah? And if there's a lot of tabs open through the years and years and years, it's not likely unless you've been dedicated practicing morning and afternoon consistently for months and months that you've reached a point where you can drop into the dips and the calm beneath the surface, right? It's like cobwebs and cobwebs and cobwebs and cobwebs and you're dusting the cobwebs but then a couple of days go by and you don't meditate so more cobwebs build and so you've got to dust them down again and again and again which is why consistent practice <laughs> really matters when it comes to actually getting those dips yeah. yeah can i can i just chime in with something of course um i when i first started meditating um many moons ago I thought that I had to sit cross-legged with a straight back and I used to get really uncomfortable and my back used to hurt and then when I studied um Vedic my teacher John he was like John you just need to be super comfortable and he like set me up in this armchair with all these pillows and like I was kind of slumped but still sitting up and I was so comfortable and I was like oh meditation can feel good like you don't have to sit on the floor with a straight back so I just also want to debunk that for people because I think that maybe oh I don't know maybe I was on my own with that but I just I just didn't understand the practice of like really getting comfy I agree with you, George. I'm, I meditate in bed. Like even in the afternoon, I'll come to bed or I'll sit on the couch. My legs will be straight out in front of me. We spoke. We'll have the pillows on top of us. Mm. You can meditate anywhere in any position. The only thing that is taught in Vedic is not to lie down. You actually want to have your neck and your head free Absolutely. because of the nods, right? If you're dropping in, you don't want to be whacking your head on a wall behind you. But the only time Janawa says that you meditate lying down is if you're really, really sick because you should still meditate when you're unwell. It helps with the fatigue and the energy or if you're severely hungover. <laughs> but they are the only reasons you oh, should Jay. meditate lying down. I know. <laughs> He's a man of the people. Yes. Um, one, another question. I can't quiet my brain. Excellent. Start <laughs> meditating right? And the most frustrating thing for anyone meditating, myself included, is the noise. And for me, that's always my morning meditation because I wake up, my cortisol spikes and I have all the tabs open. And my 20 minutes in the morning are the most painful, I'd say nine out of 10 times. I'm looking at the time. It's like, oh, it's only been five minutes. I'm thinking of everything, coming back to the mantra, thinking of everything. Like it's not comfortable and I really need to drill that in. It, it, you do have beautiful meditations, but it, that's not the purpose of this. The purpose is what I spoke about at the beginning, getting to theta healing, getting into those deep states of rest and actually allowing your mind the space to launder. Yeah. So there was a, another comment around the timing and prioritization of other things over meditation. Like I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to do this instead. And this is something that is so common because of course we're going to resist the things that are uncomfortable for us. Right. And growth is scary. And meditation is a key tool when it comes to growth. I always drop meditation off when I need it the most. I think and- it's also people's feeling of, I would rather do something. Because this yeah. feels like I'm doing nothing. 
Exactly. And that's where you really need to get an understanding of what it's doing behind the scenes. And also, you don't see the results straight away. So you'll have a medi and you might come out of it feeling blissed, but you'll likely come out of it feeling frustrated, especially at the beginning. And it's just trusting that cumulative effect day after day, month after month, year after year. You, I, I reflect on it all the time. The, the girl that I was when I started my Vedic practice to the woman that I am now, vastly different. <laughs> I went there. Guys, I'm not a girl yet, not yet a woman. All I need is a meditation practice. <laughs> I wonder what Britney's NATO chat is. Oh, I think I know it. Oh, can that be mine next week? Yeah, don't cheat during the week though and chat. I promise I won't. I promise, I promise, I promise. Okay. Okay, so I hope that answered your question. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, if you're not off during meditation, are you asleep? Great question, <laughs> Leah. Leah. <laughs> in the world <laughs> so the answer with this one is she actually voxed me today she's like i understand you're gonna answer that in the podcast but can you tell me now please <laughs> but here's the answer the answer is yes and no so sometimes in the laundering process you could fall asleep in your medi because there's fatigue that needs to be fired off and that's totally fine this week i've had three meditations where i've come out of the medi put my alarm on and then gone and had a nap afterwards because that's what my body's needed and meditation in this way is great to get you in touch with your physical and listening to what it needs but other times the nods are accessing the theta brainwave we've spoken about and different levels of consciousness so either way whether you're falling asleep or whether you're getting theta brainwave and you're dipping in and out you're doing it right. It doesn't matter what's going on. Uh, but also, if you don't get the nods, trust that that's okay as well. Not everyone will. And it could say, take years. I, I've never fallen asleep in a meditation before. Yeah. I'm and that, not and that's close. You, you probably don't have fatigue that needs to be laundered. You're more going with the, the to-do list that need to be shifted. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll get to it. There's probably other stuff before you get to the fatigue piece. So agitation and taking a long time to go deep. I mean, similar to what you said, George, you'll get to 19 minutes and then you'll be like, I'm going deep. Oh, fuck. I've been brought out of my medi. Oh, so frustrating. So annoying. So the first piece is trusting that whatever you receive in the 20 minutes is what you need. There's a reason that it's 20 minutes morning and night and it's been that way for thousands of years, right? If you need to, though, because I spoke to Janara about this too, you can go for a little bit longer. So you can have your timer set. I have my timer set for 25 minutes. You could have it set for 30. So at least you know you're getting your 20 minimum. And if you go over, it's not going to do you any harm, okay. right? So it's not like a circadian rhythm where you're going to drop. Exactly. Okay. The, the thing I will say, though, and I know I've mentioned this before, you don't want to shock your system out of the meditation at the 20-minute mark. So if you are using a timer, at least set it for 22 minutes, yeah? You want, it, you're, you want your body to do whatever it needs to do in those 20 minutes plus excess over. This is, guys, this is in the context of Vedic meditation, but, yeah, it makes sense, right? It's better going over by 5 or 10 minutes. Ideally, you're not using a timer to get out of your meditation at all. Uh, I'm still not at that point. Hull, what about those medis, and we both have them because we talk about them all the time, where you are on, you're in struggle street for 20 minutes, like the dogs are barking and you're distracted mm. and you keep looking at your phone and then a message comes through and you're like, shit, I should have put it on airplane. And then you open your eyes and you put it on airplane. And then like, I mean, what benefit, if anything, are you getting by sitting there until the 20 minute mark is up? 
I honestly don't. If I get to the point of unbelievable frustration, I go, at least I showed up today, you know? Thank you. I do that too. Yeah, and I think that that's okay. It's like you set the intention, you sat down. Don't use it as a cop-out, obviously, but there are going to be those moments. We're human, right? We're just going to be frustrated and go, I showed up, I I got a good seven minutes in, Mm. that's me for the day, and I'll I'll make sure to prioritise my Arvo one this afternoon, you know? Yeah. Yeah, being flexible with the self, I think, is very important. Um, Another question, what's the difference between needing a break from meditation and resistance to meditating? I would controversially say you don't ever need a break from the practice of meditating, even though I do it. I take breaks all the time. I'll take like a month off. That's not necessarily because I need the break. It's because there's some level of resistance that I'm facing with at at that point, right? So any break is often pointing to some kind of resistance. And the only time I'd say you're supposed to take a break is if you can't energetically handle the laundering process because in the laundering process it can bring fatigue, stress to the surface and that can be too much to handle at times. So you might need a breather of a week or two. Remember, guys, I'm not a meditation teacher. This is just my experience. So if you do have a teacher, ask them. That, that's why that's why I love Vedic because you're given your teacher and you've got the, you're meant to have them for life where you can go to with these sorts of questions, right? Oh, that's very important, Holt. I don't think you've explained that properly. With Vedic, yeah. you have to go and do a three-day course with the teacher. Yeah, and it costs money, guys. It is an investment because this is, I mean, the teachers go off and they are initiated in this ceremony. And with Vedic, you witness a puja, which is a beautiful sung chant in Sanskrit. And it's this ceremonial traditional process where you are gifted your mantra and then you go through the three-day initiation. So it is a process, but if you are seeking that depth in meditation, Honestly, hand on heart, it's been amazing for me and and many, many people in my life who've done the same. Is there ever a time not to meditate? It depends on the technique. So for Vedic, try not to right before bed because it wakes you up, it gives you energy, so you'll find it hard to fall asleep. Uh, It's that three to four hour equivalent of a nap. So you're not going to want to do it just before bed. But doing a yoga nidra before bed or a body scan before bed or... um Yeah. An insight timer, sleep meditation, absolutely. Uh, Otherwise, you can really meditate anywhere and at any time. I've meditated on a busy street in Bali before and Nikki was like, you're asleep. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm fully aware of what's going on. So you can really meditate anywhere. And the last question I have here is should I meditate during burnout and fatigue? Always listen to your body, right? But laundering will help as will the deep states of rest that you can get in a 20 minute window. I mean, this is why a meditation practice that gives you that deep state of rest is amazing for new mums who are lacking in sleep. If you can get a 20 minute in the morning and 20 minute in the evening, you are giving your brain the Mums rest. across the world are like, you're yeah, right. Like, Holly, <laughs> you are clearly not a mother. What's happening 20 minutes in the morning and the evening? Guys, Help us out here. I don't know what the mums do. <laughs> um, so any other questions, Jord? I feel like I was quite thorough. <laughs> um, uh, no, I don't have any. I don't have any. I'm trying to think of questions people would have. Um, 
if I don't think that one meditation is better than another. I think that everything's different. Like my personal practice is I'm trained in Vedic. Um, I try and do Vedic every day, but half the time if I can't sit there for 20 minutes, I'll just sit there for 10 and focus on my breathing. Or sometimes at night I'll do insight timer meditations just because I haven't meditated that day. Like it's just, you just do whatever works for you. It's choose your own adventure, guys. And just because people in your life are meditating a certain way doesn't mean that's the one for you. I think it is also important to find a teacher you resonate. If you are going to learn TM or Vedic, find a teacher you connect with. I sat with wanting to learn Vedic for about 18 months before I chose my teacher. And it's that saying, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, right? So try not to force anything with this and just... I I do feel the most important part of this discussion is understanding the difference between what a meditation practice is and does and what mindfulness is and does because there is a very clear difference and having both in your life is going to create the best, most optimal result when it comes to relaxing your mind. You've been listening to The Middle with your hosts, Holly Azapati and Jordana Levine. Join our Facebook group to search The Middle Podcast Show and follow us on Instagram at the underscore middle underscore podcast. If you'd like to join our newsletter and get all of the Christmas records, you'll find a link in the show notes of this show or you can click the link in our Instagram bio. Until next week. See you later. I was going to say until next moon. I'm Jordana Levine and you're <laughs> listening to Luna Lover, Luna Lover. the podcast. <laughs> and I'm just here for fun. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.